Amen. Good morning, church. It is good to be together today. Um, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in a couple places today. Um, first, we'll be in Luke chapter 4 as we continue walking through the book of Luke, but we'll also be in Psalm 23 today, so you're allowed to go to both places uh, as we kind of get things rolling and get things started today. Um, I just want to remind you also, if you're visiting with us today, first welcome, but this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we do have a membership class going on. It'll last from 4 to 5.30. Um, our pastoral staff will, will help guide us through that, and just want to let you know, uh, it's never too late to let us know that you want to come unless you let us know after it's over then it's too late, right? So we'd love for you to come find out more about what God's doing here at Parkway and uh, keep you in the loop if you would like to do that um, so that we make sure we have enough of everything we need. You can stop by the connections desk later on after church uh, and let us know that you would like to come, okay? So that's what's going on uh, with that part of it. Uh, as we walk through Luke, um, we're gonna be really talking about our reading a little bit. Hopefully you're reading through the New Testament or excuse me, through the Gospels with us this year. If you're not, that's okay. Hey, there's uh, displays on both sides, um, and in that is a, is a family devotional for you to do with your children, and there's also a reading plan for you to do. And in our reading plan, this coming week is Matthew chapter 13. So you can either think, hey, just pick it up at Matthew 13 and go. If you want to read back, you're welcome to do that too. But in doing that, we just tell everyone throughout the week, we want you to ask two questions of Scripture. The first is, how do I see Jesus in this passage? And, and by that, you might mean like Jesus' name is here, 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 here. You don't have to circle all of those things. What we're just saying is, what does that passage tell you about Jesus? What does it teach you about Jesus? And the, then the second question, and intentionally the second question is, what response does that lead me to? Right? So first, I want to know, what does it tell me about Jesus? And then two, why God recorded that word for his people for a purpose. So what does that lead you to? An action, a prayer, a response. And so each week throughout the year, that's where we're going. And the interesting thing as we walk through that is there's a purpose for that because it's going to frame the way we read Scripture. I, I think sometimes we look at God's word as if it's a mirror. Right? If you look at God's word as a mirror, right, the main image that you'll always see is who? It's yourself. It's me. It's who we'll always look at. And I'm telling you, if you start reading like the law, if you go through Jesus' standard of what it means to be right with God, and all you see is you, I'm telling you what, it gets pretty discouraging. It gets pretty broken, right? And, and I want you to know, as we walk through Scripture, I want you to see Scripture is not meant to be a mirror. It's really meant to be a window. Do you like the window seat on an airplane? I'm a window or an aisle guy. If you're a middle seat person, can we talk after church? Because something's wrong, right? But the, if you're sitting at the window, it's I want to see what's going outside, whether that's the clouds or the water that you're flying over or at night. I love the window seat at night because I get to see all the lights and where the cities are and where they're coming, that kind of thing. See, the window gives us a view of the big picture of what's going on out there. But if you stare at it long enough and the window is either dirty enough or clean enough, you might also get a little bit of your reflection in that window. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? that? That you can catch what's going outside and you can kind of see this reflection of yourself. 
that's how I want you to know I think scripture ought to be read it first is meant to give us the big picture of who God is his saving work and his plan from Genesis to Revelation and that should encourage us just like a child looking out the window and tapping mom and dad on an airplane saying did you see that that cloud looks like a unicorn riding a unicycle with a unibrow I mean just right you're welcome you're welcome right they just we just love pointing that creativity out it may it may just be god look what i'm learning about you look what i see about you i i it's new all the time but the same way your reflection is well god how does what i am seeing and learning how does it change who i am because jesus didn't die just to save you in your sin and leave you in this cesspool of brokenness he gave his life so that you could know new life by following hard after him. And that's really what we're looking at as we look at scripture. So, so I know I told you Psalm 23 and Luke 4, but I want to read to you another Psalm first, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. By, by far, it's the most quoted Psalm. And, and just the very beginning of it, verse 1, says it this way. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. And you might think, this is amazing that this is the most, you are going to read that in, in three out of the four, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You're going you're gonna to read Jesus speak those very words. And I think there's a lot of great psalms in the Bible. This is a very odd one to repeat over and over and over. But it shows us the window through which we are to read the New Testament, through which we're to read about Jesus and his story. Because what Jesus says is, David is the writer. And David, king, who the Messiah is to come through his lineage, says, the Lord said to my Lord. And he makes this framework that says, the king and my lord to come he's not beneath me but he's above me and so he says this crazy thought the lord god creator of heaven and earth said to my lord the messiah the king without even having an understanding of how it would all work sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, when you and I read the, the New Testament, when we read the story of Jesus, what I want you to know is this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God whom we have been called to worship since the beginning of time. And he is the Lord of God's people. And that David, the greatest king, has ever pointed to. So we don't just read the story of a good man trying to show us how to live a good life. We, we aren't just reading the story of an ordained man that God chose to make into his Messiah out of all the creation of the earth. But we're instead reading the story of our Lord, who is our gift from the Lord. And so when we walk into Luke chapter 4, we find Jesus coming off of the baptism, the Holy Spirit resting upon him like a dove. And the Lord saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
and immediately we transition from this what we would say is this beautiful moment into what we might find a really difficult moment but God wants us to see this that this is the story of our Lord so there must be something in this that we're to learn first about Jesus then about us and that's how we're going to read Luke chapter 4 verse 1 through 13 what does it show us about Jesus and then what is Jesus teaching us while he goes through it and so we'll walk through it like this. We'll read a bit of Psalm 23. We'll read a bit of Luke 4. If you, um, if you don't have two cheat sheets in your Bible like I do or your thumb's not working, I used to tell everybody it's page 818 in my Bible, but the older I get, the bigger my words get, so the thicker my Bible gets, amen? So I don't know what your Bible's like, David. I only have 600 pages by the end. Welcome to Good Eyes. Thanks for bragging about it, okay? Psalm 23, verse 1 says it like this. The Lord is my, what does your Bible say? Shepherd. shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, Luke chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1 says this. For Je and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Psalm 23, it gives us this theme. The Lord is my shepherd. In Luke 4, we see it into practice. And he's a good shepherd. And this is an interesting moment. The Son of God, with whom I am well pleased, comes off of this wonderful high, and it doesn't say the enemy tricked him into going into the desert. It, it doesn't say he wanted to challenge himself, and he went into the desert. It doesn't say God had a party planned in the desert and the enemy messed it up. It says the Lord did what to him? Led him there. The Lord led him there. And I would tell you, this is where the enemy wants to first challenge our thought about the Lord. Because the enemy in the world might say this, a good shepherd or a good God wouldn't tolerate, much less lead you into difficult places, seasons of life. Right? I mean, if God is so good, if he's a good shepherd, he, he wouldn't do that to you. He wouldn't lead you into a difficult situation. And, and, and in that world, all of a sudden, we have this idea that if God loves us, He's going to bubble wrap us up and then duct tape it at the end. So we'll just bounce through life. That would be a good God. See, before the tempter begins to tempt Jesus, what God shows us is he's already going to start tempting us. Because what the enemy wants to do here, when you think, why would God lead? If he'll lead his son, then surely he would lead me into a difficult season into a desert right after something great has happened you see what the enemy wants you to do is question God's goodness for sure his role for sure but he really wants you to question his place is he worthy to lead you is God really worthy to, to follow I mean a shepherd's job church is to care for the flock and to lead the flock into good places and sweet spaces. The, Lord, the, the shepherd's job is to help the flock be healthy and safe and protected. So if that's the job of a shepherd, the enemy would say, is God good? 
the enemy would say, can you really follow a God like that? Even if he is God, can you, can you give him that amount of trust in your life? Is he really your shepherd or does he have a different agenda and you're just a pawn in the king's plan? Do you really have value? See, see that sowing of this isn't new. And what I love is God isn't afraid of this. The Lord inspired scripture. So who do you think made sure Luke said, I'm going to lead my son into this? God. So what is God going to show us? First, I think he wants to show us the enemy at work. Genesis chapter 3, you've been reading about it. When the enemy comes and he tempts Adam and Eve at the, at the tree, he said, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any tree? Did God really say that that would happen? Is God hiding something from you? See, the work of the enemy is for you and I to question God's place in our life. Job's wife, bless her heart. God has let all this stuff, bad stuff happen to you. Just curse him and die. Just tell him you're not a good shepherd and give your soul up. That's, her, that's what she's saying. You've come into difficult seasons. Therefore, God must not be good. Abraham. I guess, bless Abraham. We're giving him a hard time today. Right? Sarah, we're going into a town. You're beautiful. Would you tell him you're my sister and not my wife? <laughs> you know who Sarah did not know, knew was not the good shepherd in that moment? Abraham. Right? Men, that's not a way to be attractive to your spouse. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to get beat up, but you might have to protect me by giving you over. Okay, honey? That's good. Yes. It's, we'll talk about marriage enrichment weekend later on. That, that's not going to work. But the enemy wants you to think. God wouldn't put you in a place that is difficult if he's good. God wouldn't put that stress on your life if he's good. He wants your heart to ask the question, is God really good? But man, God's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of my favorite verses in my recent readings in Exodus, the Lord's telling Moses about how he's gonna clear the land out, and he says this in Exodus 23, 29 through 30. He says, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you've increased and possessed the land. This is God saying, I'm giving you the promised land. I'm telling you it's yours. And what we want to say is, great, God, if you're leading us into the promised land, then what I can envision is, like, we walk in, they all disappear, like Marvel, right? The snap. All the enemies are gone, and here we go. My God, could you just remove every stumbling block, every barrier, it'd be great. But God says, that would be so silly because if I didn't your way, I wouldn't be a good shepherd because there's not enough of you to take care of all the land I'm giving you as a blessing. And if instead of blessing you, it would harm you if I took care of it the way you wanted me to. See, the good shepherd isn't subject to his sheep because he knows the plans I have for you are better than what you might even dream in this moment. So little by little, I'll clear out the land. 
You see, God is a good shepherd, and he knows. I've got control. I'll take care of you. Jesus doesn't struggle saying, Dad, why am I going into the desert? It was so good. He doesn't talk back. He doesn't complain. But instead, he follows the Lord. I wrote this question for me and for you. Do you know the Lord who sits at the right hand of the Lord? Is Jesus your good shepherd that you can trust where he's leading even when it looks scary or dangerous or unknown? Is, is, the, is the God that you worship, is the Lord that you worship only trustworthy when things are good and skies are blue? Or is he your good shepherd in every season because he is good no matter what's going on around you. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1. I shall not, what? Want. That's a horrible thing to say to an American. Amen? <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Temptation number 1, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This isn't like a fake hungry. It's not like God supernaturally made the hunger pains goes away. Like, if you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, you're starving. You follow me? Like, this is big. Verse 3, And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he said, it is written, Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the truth. The Lord, Psalm 23, is your provider. You shall not want. See, the Lord is your shepherd, and he's a good shepherd. The Lord is your provider. So let me encourage you. Don't look for scraps off of someone else's table. When God is offering you abundance. Because that's what Psalm 23 says. But, but the enemy comes in and he says, Jesus, you are so hungry. Just turn the rocks into bread. Provide for yourself. God has led you here, but this is on you. You have to make sure your needs are met. You have to make sure your life's protected. You need to make sure you have what you want. You deserve a break when? Today. It's never tomorrow. You deserve a break today. See, the enemy, that's what he sows into Jesus' life in this moment. It's what he sows into ours. He says, you deserve to make sure your needs are met. Do you know how much conflict comes from that, that mistruth that we hold on to? If we don't see God as our provider and we see us as our provider? Hey, listen, if you're married in this room, I would tell you some of your deepest hurts are because you're trying to figure out how to make your spouse meet your need and it being their idea. Amen? You follow me? We'll say that again so that you can be convicted. Most of your conflicts, they're going to be from making sure your spouse meets your need and it's their idea. Because what you're saying is, God, I don't trust you with my spouse. 
I don't trust you to meet my needs and to give me what I want. So, to the glory of God, I'm going to woo her. And when that doesn't work, I'm going to be mad at her and you. And the enemy says, that's right. Because poor wisdom always leads to destruction. Man, how many of us grew up? You're going to find out how much worldly wisdom is no good. A bird in the hand is worth where? Two in the two in the bush you know what that means is if you've got it and it meets your needs run with it baby but the Lord says I am your provider if I tell you there's two in the bush let the bird go so much of who we are is on this whisper that tomorrow is not guaranteed so you better take what you get today meet your needs don't worry about God it's not really about him anyway it's about you church that's how wicked men think pharaoh we can't let the the hebrews go who would meet our needs the whole society built on meeting their needs king herod in the new testament who's going to protect my kingdom i'm going to kill all the infants under two years old if you follow this process that the lord is not your provider but you are the provider then conflict is coming but if the Lord is your provider, you'll follow him with confidence and assurance wherever he goes. God says to Abraham later on, give me your son. And Abraham with no idea says, I'll give him to you. And he calls the place in the moment when God provided beyond his imagination, the Lord provides. Do you believe that the Lord provides in such a way for your life that you don't go looking for scraps off of other tables to help God out in providing for you or for your family. See, what Jesus says, I hardly, I can't even imagine the temptations big to him. As hungry as he is, he says, listen, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, what he says is, the Lord will provide for me. And if he tells me he's going to be hungry today, then he's going to be my sustainer and my provider. If he says we're going to eat at a feast today, then he's going to be my sustainer and provider. If he says I want you to go in the desert, if he says I want you to go on the mountains, he is my provider. He will take care of me. So I will not go looking for cheap garbage from your table or from my table or anyone else's. Is that how you see the Lord who sits at the right hand of the Lord? What does it look like if in your life and in my life you were to say, God, you are my provider and so I'll walk with you through any intersection, through any valley you take me because I believe you'll provide. What would it do to your marriage, to your children, to your view of finances, to your views of friendships that say, God, I don't understand why you wouldn't clear it all out in a year. I don't understand why you wouldn't provide what I'm wanting in this moment. But I believe you are my provider and I will never want for the life that you have promised. What would that do to your day tomorrow? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, verse two and three goes on. He makes me, I love that, 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now listen, this is so good, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's like he makes you take a nap. That's like heaven. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. Not yours, not mine. All of the good that you reap from following the Lord is for his name's sake. Now let's read Luke chapter 4, verse 5, down through verse 8 in the same mindset. It says it like this. And the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, I will give to you, I'll give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and, and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's the truth. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your provider. But the Lord must be your God. He must be your God. And you and I do not have the same privileges that he does. Let me say that again. You and I do not have the same privileges that he does. And Satan, he shows he has no idea what he's talking about from the beginning. He thinks the mission is the purpose he thinks jesus come to rule the world he will rule the world but he thinks that's why he has come jesus has not come for the mission he has come for his father and because he has come for his father he is all about the mission you see what i'm saying there there's a big difference in there because the world would say, hey, listen, the ends justify the, it's participation Sunday, the what? Means. Well, I can't believe you many of you know that. John chapter 6, verse 2, let's say it together. Exactly. We're going to talk about this later. How many of these things we've memorized, right? <laughs> yeah, the ends justify the means. It's easier to ask forgiveness than what? Permission. <laughs> Dang it, you're so good at this. see what the enemy says is be about the mission of god don't be about god if you won't abandon the mission just abandon him and then just check off the boxes and when you see him face to face you can say i accomplished the task leave me alone the enemy is at work in our heart in our mind because what he wants to imply is you're not a nobody you've got some leverage with him he needs you you can accomplish the goal your way in your timing and if there's collateral damage on the way that's all right what he does is he leans in and he says you have some control of this situation and you need to exert it ah oh, stink cheese right control is like the blanket we wrap ourselves up with at night Lord, i just want to make a difference i just want to have some control how do i give in how do i protect how do i stand god promised 
when Jacob and Esau were about to be born, before they were coming into this world and took their first breath, that the younger would serve the older. God's promise is certain. So when Isaac's about to give this blessing, we see Esau go out to hunt, and we see Jacob and his mom scheme to make sure God's blessing happens like God says. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He lovingly invites us in to his blessing, to his mission. Because he's told you, if you're my people, you shall not want. You'll have a purpose. You'll have a place. Your promise will hold sure. Do you believe that? Do you believe you can't accomplish the will of God without honoring him as God? Do you know that? Do you know being a good person is insufficient? It's, it's a byproduct of obedience to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus says, it's written, you shall, not wor- you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He says, you do this, I do this for his name's sake. Because the Lord is God. I will worship him alone. I wonder if he says, but you, you wouldn't know this. You wouldn't catch this. This morning as you walk in, do you know the Lord as your God? And are you willing to say, God, I don't have the same privileges that you have. We can't have the freedom to live a life to honor God and then take control or honor away from God and honor him in that freedom. It doesn't work. You don't have those privileges. A friend in the church was telling me the story about their child, and I asked permission to share this story. (laughs) He said, I was talking to my child, and my child says, you can't boss me around. And the the parent said, that's literally my job. It's, 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 It's literally what I what I'm here to do. If you want to be the boss of someone, have kids. That's what I did. Listen, the Lord is sovereign over you, and it doesn't work the other way around. Do you believe that? Or are you trying to take things out of his hands and trying to accomplish his will without being obedient to you? What would happen if you were to lay down at his feet this morning? And you were saying, God, I'm going to stop trying to pitch in. I'm going to stop trying to put my two cents in. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to listen to your plan. I'm going to exalt your name. I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to live my life in obedience to that. What changes in your life when the Lord is your shepherd, when the Lord is your provider, and the Lord is your God? Psalm chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You 
prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Man, that's not just a promise for the future. That's the gift of the Lord being your God today. And Jesus, with that confidence, walks in, and the enemy, in verse 9, tempts him one more time. And he, the enemy, took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. It's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. The last thing I want you to know is, the Lord is my confidence. The Lord is my confidence. And, and this is huge. Doubt does not deepen your relationship with him. Doubt will not deepen your relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my God. The Lord is my provider, but the Lord is my confidence. See, the enemy wants to say, prove it. Prove it. If your God is so big and your God is so strong and your God is so mighty and there's nothing your God will not do, prove it. Prove it. See, what he's saying is, prove it to who? Me. Prove it to who? Yourself. What he's saying is, put your God on trial. Put your God on trial. Put him to the test. If he's real and he's here, put him to the test. Prove to me he is faithful. Because what he wants you to think is, you can never be certain. Your faith can never be secure. You can never have a hope that doesn't disappoint. Each day is a chance for something new to fall apart. God is no different. Because if you'll doubt God in small ways, you can doubt him in big ones. Church. What Jesus leans into is the reality that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no one that can really challenge him. One of my favorite stories about Abraham in Genesis is when God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's there. I want you to go get him and lead him out. And Abraham says, you know, for the sake of 50, would you destroy it? And like, no, I wouldn't do that. Would you, for, the, for the sake of 40, 30, 20, 10, like he's bartering with God and like trying to help God be gracious and graceful. God says, no, for the sake of 10, I wouldn't destroy it. Abraham's like, okay, I'll go get Lot. Guess what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah? He gets destroyed because God is already gracious. He didn't need Abraham's help in being more gracious. You follow me? Moses on the mountain. God says, the people are worshiping an idol. I'm gonna go take them out. Moses says, don't take them out. Be a good God. God says, I'll let you go down there. I won't do it right now. Moses goes down. He sees it happening. He's like, oh, I'm taking them out, God. That's not I know. It's the conversation I was just having with you. See, the Lord is your confidence. And that's why the enemy wants to sow fear, doubt, and concern. And when Jesus says, 
listen you shall not put the Lord your God to the test what he's saying is he is already my comfort why in the world would I want to do anything to change that he's already my strength why do I need to prove to you or let you make me doubt that he is my strength he is already my portion he's already my song strong song he's already what makes me stand firm he is the one that brought me from from death to life we would say Jesus will say he'll be the one that raises me from the dead Psalm 23 the Lord is my comfort and he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies can you imagine being the enemy and someone having a feast while you watch on in anger that probably irritates you church what Jesus says is I'm not concerned with trying to make you so important that it would make my God anything less than who he is so I don't need to prove him to you I don't need to bow him down at your feet put my God on trial you're welcome to do that all you want and in that trial, you're proving he is not your God. But he's my shepherd. And wherever he leads me, it's good. Even when you don't understand it. Church, in the middle of that, he's my provider. He's going to take care of me because he chooses to love me. going to provide in your marriage and your family he's going to provide for your your wants so to speak in other words those needs to make sure you are cared for and loved just follow him because the Lord has to be your God and what he's invited you to do through obedience through your life is to worship him and nobody else and in that you will know the Lord is your confidence Matthew will record in that moment the enemy leaves and immediately the angels come and they minister to him God will not leave you alone it's his promise but this morning, how do you know the Lord? Jesus, in the temptation in the desert, he showed us how he knew the Lord. And he invited us to follow him. Is that how you will follow him this morning? The Lord who sits at the right hand of the Lord? Have you asked him to be your Lord? your God, your confidence, your provider, and your shepherd. If you haven't, I would encourage you right now to offer that up, to give him the place that he will hold no matter what, but so that you might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you.
Lord, I just, I praise you for the temptation of my Lord. Because goodness and mercy always followed him, even when life was difficult and hard. He never wanted for what you had to give to him, Lord, and he was always full, even when he was hungry. Lord, we want to be a people that follows our Lord. We want to see the fruit of the blessing of the leading of our shepherds so that we can be by still waters in times of difficulty and you can restore our souls in times of weakness. Lord, we, we don't want to look other places for scraps. Instead, Father God, would you just let our blessing overflow? God, it begins and ends with saying, we will not bow our knee to any other. Not the man or woman in the mirror, not the friend down the street, and not any other being that would challenge our King. Let us be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.